Open up your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. This morning I'm going to take us to a section of Scripture that I believe is pertinent to the times that we are living in right now and I believe that is going to speak to every person in here today. It's the last of the I am statements uh, that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. Jesus, throughout the book of John, says, I am, and then he fills in the blank. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the good shepherd. Did you know what you think about God is perhaps the most important thing about you? Your idea of who God is forms how you relate to him and then how you receive from him. So, it's so important that, you have a pro- that we have a proper concept of who God is. That's why we, we study the Bible verse by verse. That's why we look at the context of what it says to us And fortunately, Jesus here gives us seven different times in the Gospel of John exactly who he is. So we can relate to him in the way he wants us to relate to him. And then we can be set up to receive from him everything that he wants for us. So in light of that, Turn with me to John chapter 15 and we'll look and we'll begin in this first verse of John chapter 15 with this last I am statement of Jesus. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser and every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that, he, that bears fruit, he prunes that it, would, that it may bear more fruit. I've titled this message, When Life Takes a Turn. We can all say that life has taken a turn these past six months, can't we? Life has taken a turn. It has taken a turn in such a way that that a lot of us are doing things differently in our life because of what's happened the last six months. Some for the better. Some of you have slowed down. And you're doing things differently. You're spending time doing the important things. You're spending time with family. And, and, and you're using that, that turn to, to make good, good changes in your life. But others... Others of you have lost a job. Maybe you've had a career change. Maybe there's, there's marital stress because you're all in the home together. Or maybe there's been family division over the things that have happened. Or there's been a location change. Maybe there's doubt. Maybe there's depression. Well, I want you to know, I want you to know that the Bible isn't silent during times like this. Life has definitely taken a turn. Well, in this section of Scripture, this section of Scripture, life is about to take a turn for, the, for Jesus' disciples. Let me set the stage for you this morning. Jesus has just had the Last Supper with his disciples. He's just washed their feet 
And, and Jesus says to all of them, one of you are, is going to betray me this evening. And Judas gets up and he leaves. And there's 11 of them left. He's hours away from his arrest. And then moving to his crucifixion. Life is about to change for all of these disciples. Some will run and hide. Some will deny Christ. Some will return to the things that they were doing before they knew Christ. Some will find themselves confused. And some will stay faithful. Where are you at in this life turn? What is God doing in your life right now? Well, we believe that this moment that Jesus begins to... He begins to travel from the upper room where he, he's just had the Last Supper. And, and he, 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 he leaves the, the upper room and he, he walks down through the Kidron Valley. If you know anything about Jerusalem, there's a mile walk that, from the upper room to where they think he was at and to, to, the, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's, it's about a mile walk through the Kidron Valley. And we believe this is the moment that, that Jesus speaks these things to his disciples. And, and he would be walking through the valley. And on the hillside right there in, in, in the Kidron Valley, there would have been vineyards to his right. Now today there's homes and, and, and some things up there. But they say in Jesus' day there would have been vineyards up there. And he would have seen vine after vine after vine. And then as he would walk, as you would come down through the Kidron Valley, to your left would be the temple. The temple would have these beautiful gates, and above the gate was a golden vine. This golden vine that represented the nation of Israel. The bald eagle today is a symbol of America, while the vine was a symbol of Israel. Within hours, Jesus will be arrested, and Jesus is downloading a number of deep truths to his disciples. Now, when Jesus makes this statement, I am the true vine, This was loaded with meaning, guys. This was loaded with meaning throughout the Old Testament and through the prophets. Usually when you would come across a reference to the vine, it was a reference to Israel or to the the, the Jews. And in most cases, it it was usually negative. Uh, Listen to what it says in in Isaiah chapter chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared its stones and planted it, planted it with its choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. He has And he has expected it to bring forth grapes, good grapes, but it brought forth wild, bitter grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, 
And men of Judah, judge be pleased between me and my vineyard. What more could you have what more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. These are the words of the Lord about the nation of Israel. Why why you were perfectly prepped for fruit and fruit has not come from your life. So in the Old Testament when when Israel when Israel was the vine, it was accompanied with a declaration that they were a vine that did not bear fruit. That their fruit was not good enough. And, and judgment was coming to the people of God. Well, in this statement by Jesus, he's taking this idea of failure and flipping it on its head. And he's saying, I am the true vine. I am doing what you could not do, Israel. I am doing what you could not do, church of God. I am being what you have not been able to be. This is nothing short of a gospel declaration. He is entering into the banner of failure over their lives and saying, hey guys, I got this. I got this. People of God, I got this. You've not been able to be fruitful in a way that pleases God, yet Jesus says, I am the true vine. Jesus here is rescuing us from our broken state in the realization that we are bankrupt without him, that we cannot do anything without him. You see, everything changes in this statement that Jesus makes. I am the true vine. He says, you can rest assured that I've got this. You can trust me. I've got you. You just need to abide in me. Church, we are really good at connecting ourselves to counterfeit vines. We are really good at connecting ourselves to counterfeit vines, things that we think are going to give us life that don't give us life. Some of you during this pandemic have connected yourself to things that aren't going to be fruitful in your life and it's time to cut it off. It's time to connect to the true vine. Jesus, since Jesus is the true vine and the Father is our, our husbandman, he's our vine dresser, since Jesus is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, there's, there's five things I want to point out as we walk through this text this morning. And number one is this, expect pruning. Expect pruning. Number two, that you're clean. In, in uh, our position in Christ is clean. And because we're clean, we can truly abide. We can truly abide. And because we're clean, we have the power to love people. We have the power to allow the love of Christ to flow through us. And then lastly, because we're clean, we can be filled with his joy, with his joy. Look at verse one again. 
Let's read it together. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and in, in every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Because he is the true vine, church, we need to expect pruning. We need to expect pruning. So to be a Christian, to be a Christian is to bear fruit. Did you know that? that that's what the Lord is wanting us to hear this morning. He, he wants us to bear fruit. And if there is no fruit, then there's no genuine belief. Now, how you define that fruit starts to really matter, doesn't it? What does, what, what is fruit? What does fruit look like? What does the Bible tell us about fruit? Well, is it morality? Is it doing a bunch of right things? Well, I, I, I loved my wife. I did this. I did that. I, and, and, and we have all the things that we, we did right, so that makes me fruitful. Is that true? Or is religiosity fruit? Is being religious, being good, and being doing the right things on the outside, yet our hearts are not right? Is that fruit? Well, we know that that's not fruit. The, the, the Pharisees, Jesus called out the Pharisees. He said, he said you're whitewashed tombs. He, he looked at them and he said, you're not fruitful at all. So in looking at this text, it's interesting, he, you either are being cut off or you're being cut back. It's one or the other. Either way, you're getting cut. Now, that doesn't sound very good this morning, right? I mean, come on. I mean, how do you want to get cut? Like, sign up to get cut this morning. Like, that does not sound good, yet... It's what the Lord is saying. Why would the Lord prune? Why would he, the Lord cut back what's fruitful? Because he says, those that are fruitful, he prunes. He, he, he's looking at the, his, the body of Christ, his bride, and he, he begins to cut away what's fruitful. Why? So that it would bear more fruit, that it would produce greater fruit than, than it is right now. So, so what does it mean to be fruitful? Well, well does it mean to have a, a successful career or, or a big house and, and have all, all, all the, the things in life taken care of? You don't have to worry about finances and, and, and somehow you've, you've reached that level of, oh, I, I'm... I'm fruitful now in my life. No adversity, no sickness. And, and, and somehow we have this mindset that, that that might be fruitfulness. But but guys, I think that's an American Christian mindset. Here's the idea of, of, of fruitfulness that the Bible tells us. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That has nothing to do with career or a big house or what your life looks like. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That we suffer long 
and we walk through it with a smile. That's not easy, guys. Kindness. How much kindness is coming out of your life? Goodness. Faithfulness. Faithful to your marriage. Faithful to the Lord. Faithful walking faithfully. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such there is no law. Hebrews chapter 13 talks about the fruit of our lips. He says a sacrifice of praise. That What we did right in the beginning of this service as we came into the house of God and we, we sang and we worshiped, that is, that is the sacrifice of praise. That's the fruit, the fruit of our lips. That's fruit, guys. First, first uh, I mean, Colossians 1 says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So, in, so being in God's word produces fruit. Remaining in his word, being, being in his word, allowing the word to take root is fruit. So when Jesus says, I will be what you could not be, and then he begins to cut away the things in our life that he believes needs to be cut away, we need to embrace the pruning. How many of you are embracing that this morning? You see, when I, when I read Galatians chapter 5, when I said love, joy, peace, patience, when I read that, none of us were thinking to ourselves, nailed it, <laughs> got that done, next. No, we, we, we know that those are areas that, that need improvement. Those are areas that I need to dig into and, and ask the Lord to, to grow in me. You know how that, that fruit gets produced? It's not, it's not by standing here and going, oh, I just, need, I just need to love more. I just need to love more. I need to, I need to be self-controlled. No, it's, it's about abiding. And we're going to get into that in just a few minutes. You see, God in his kindness prunes us. And I think for most Christians, we believe that the Christian life is no hardships, no difficulties, no pain. But that's not what the scripture shows us. Pruning is painful. It's painful. He prunes and we grow. He prunes and we grow. The two largest moments of growth in my life were the difficulty of my first six years of marriage. And when I was church planning in Chihuahua, Mexico. My first six years of marriage were hard. I don't know about you. I don't know if you felt the weight and the difficulty of marriage. But for me, my first six years, I was immature, church. I didn't know how to love. I didn't know how to be the husband I needed to be. And my wife didn't either. And, and there was friction. And there was hardship. And, and God was pruning. And he was saying, Sean, you need to change. You're a selfish man. And then kids come. And then he's like, you need to die even more. And, and he's cutting away. And he's cutting away and, and shaping me into who he wanted me to be. He was pruning 
Oh, it was painful, guys. When I was church planting in, in Mexico, three years into the church plant, I was confused. Lord, I've done everything you've asked me to do. I'm teaching verse by verse. I'm doing all these things. We have good worship, yet the church is not growing. God, what is wrong? And it drove me to my knees. And it caused me to seek God. And it caused me to get in get and depend upon him. And he was saying, Sean, it's not about you. It's about me. It's not about what you know. It's about what I know. It's not about what you do. It's about what I do. So depend on me. Abide in me. Stay connected to me. And as you do that, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm the one that brings the fruit. Oh, church, so hard. That is so hard to do. Yet that brought forth the greatest fruit in my life. Guys, I don't want to go through that ever again. <laughs> don't si- I don't want to sign up for those first six years of marriage. No way. But it was good. And it was fruitful. Let me say this. We, as a church, are in a season of pruning. We as a church are in a season of pruning. I believe the church at large, but Rocky Mountain Calvary is in a season of pruning. And guys, it's not easy. We're struggling through this, this, these changes, this life turn. We, we're asking the deeper questions. We're wondering, what do we believe? Where, 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 should we, where should we worship? How should we worship? What should we do? Relational conflict comes in. We're worried and, and, and fearful about the future. What's coming next? And it's driving us to this, I hope. God, what are you saying to me? What's going on? What, what's the future have? And it's driving us into God's word. And it's pushing us deeper into his word. And that's going to produce fruit. The pruning produces fruit. So what I want you to understand from this text is this. Just because God is pruning doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. That should just... Just because God is pruning doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. It means that he loves you. That he loves you. And he's working and he's refining question is, are you receiving the pruning? Are you receiving the cutting that, that's happening in your life? Which brings me to, to the vine dresser. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. He is the husbandman. He is the one that cultivates the vine, comes along and carefully cares for it to see that it grows. And we have a loving father who knows how to cultivate the branch, who knows how to grow it and cause it to bear fruit and build it and cause it to produce what it's supposed to. He gently pinches away the dead that needs to come off and cuts back what seems good. 
He cuts back what seems good so that it will produce something better. I want you to hear that this morning. This past Wednesday night, we had our, uh, our worship and prayer night. And during that service, the Lord gave me a, a vision, a, a word for, for our body. And, and, and I, it was a vision of this house that was being deconstructed piece by piece. And, and these pieces were coming off of this house and, and, and very carefully taken apart so that it could be reconstructed and put back together. And I believe that that has to do with this message this morning as he cuts back to see more fruit come. Have you ever seen a, a, a bush that's been pruned? Is it good looking? I mean, is it like, oh man, I'm taking that, taking that home with me. You know, no, you, 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 see, you see that pruned bush or that, and you're like, oh, that's ugly. But what will come from it from that point is beautiful. So let's read on. Let me, let me, let's move on into my next point in verse 3. And you are already clean. I want you to sit in that for a second. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He's speaking this to his disciples in a very uh, important moment in, in, in the disciples' lives. Hours from this moment in the Kidron Valley, Jesus is going to be arrested, and then he will be crucified shortly after that. The disciples have no idea that this is coming, but Jesus does. And he tells his disciples, I want you to know that you're already clean. You know why? Because some of you are going to deny me tonight. Some of you are going to run and hide. Some of you are going to go back to the things that you did before because you're confused and you don't know what, what the Christian life is about and you're, you'll be confused. But I want you to know that you're clean. That in me, that in Christ, you're clean. And this is my second point. Our position in Christ is clean, church. I want you to know that this morning. Your position in Christ, because he is the true vine, your position in Christ is clean. And I think this is very, so important, especially in light of the pruning that God does. Because sometimes when we get cut, we think we've done something wrong and we, we, we distance ourselves from God. But, but God wants you to come close to him because he wants you to know that you're clean. What's interesting is the Greek word for prune and the Greek word for clean are the same root word in the Greek. Purging and cleansing. It's interesting when you get into uh, the study uh, uh, of this section. Jesus has said throughout the book, uh, out the book of John, I am, I am, I'm the Messiah. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the one who makes you clean. Past, present, and future. Wow. 
Sit in that this morning, church, for a second. Sit in that idea that you're clean because of what Christ has done for you. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. So when Jesus says in verse 3, we are already, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. He's speaking the cleansing power of Christ. He's speaking salvation. And if you don't know that, you've never come into that understanding, you've never experienced that cleansing from your sin, and you're sitting out there today, and you're feeling the guilt uh, and the weight of your sin, I'm telling you, you're missing out. Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to take that sin and wash it away, but it comes with surrender to the Lord. Let's read on in verse 5. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they are gathered, and they, he, and they gather them up and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. You see, church, because we are clean, we can truly abide. We can truly abide in him. Because we're clean, because we can come into the presence of God and go, God, God you, you look at me as your child and, and I'm okay to stand in your presence. I can, I can remain and I can abide uh, very carefully and not feel the weight of anything. The word abide means to remain. It means to stay. It means to be connected. So, so if I say, you know, guys, I just want you to abide right, right where you're at, you know, you'd be like, what, what kind of action is that? I mean, let's, let's just abide right now. Oh, good job. You're doing great. It, it, it is exactly what you're doing. You're remaining where you are. It's, it's staying right there. It's, it's just staying put in the place where you're supposed to be. Abiding is just, just staying in connection, right in, in the place where God wants you to be. But we are really good at moving, aren't we? We're really good at getting up and going somewhere else and not abiding and not staying where God would want us to be. To be. Church, when we know, truly know that we're clean, past, present, and future, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us past, present, and future, that changes the way we approach Jesus. Doesn't it? Oh, Lord, I'm clean. I can come to you. No, no weight, no shame, no guilt. God, I come to you. I can remain in you in a different way. No longer do I have to run and hide 
I can simply abide with him. A branch does not stress about being connected. If you go out here and you, you observe the trees out, out front of our church, they're not stressed out. These branches aren't going, oh my gosh, it's so hard to abide in this, in this trunk, and I don't know what I'm going to do today. This is so difficult. And, and it's so hard to bear fruit. I just, I just can't bear fruit. And, and I'm just, you know, what does it do? It just allows the, the lifeblood of that vine to flow through its branch and produce fruit. You see, abiding and growing in the Lord shouldn't be stressful. It shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be overwhelming. It should be life giving. It should be life giving. It should flow out of this incredible love relationship with the Lord. When I did high school and college ministry, there was this phenomena that happened in, in the high school college ministry. And um, uh, you would you would see this. It, it happened every year. And you would see these young men and these young women like start to hang out in, in the youth ministry. And, and they would come in, they would worship the Lord, and they would have their hands up. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, these young guys would then go, wow, she really loves God. And he, they would start to like, like, wow, I, I think I like that over there. And would then come closer to uh, that young lady. And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're hanging out together and they're dating now and, and now they're, they're sitting on the front row and they're just holding hands and, oh, this is so good. And they're just having a, a, a good time and they're just loving Jesus with their hands, hands just, uh, you know, clenched together. And, and, then, and then about three months later, something happens. They decide, or one decides, that they don't like the other. Hmm. And then the distancing starts. And, well, they're not sitting together anymore on the front row. They're, they're one's way over there and the other one's way over here. Uh, or one comes to the Saturday night service and the other one comes to the Sunday morning service because what they have, what they have, what they started to believe is that they believe that when they, when we offend somebody, we tend to avoid them. When we believe that we have offended someone, we tend to avoid them. That's true. Think about your marriage. When we, have, when we believe we've offended someone, we tend to avoid. But what I want you to understand is that my position in Christ, your position in Christ, should not cause us to avoid but to run to, despite what we're guilty of. We should run to Christ because of our position in Christ because we are clean. And I want you to get that this morning. Peter is a perfect example of this. Peter. Here's the apostle Peter. He's in the upper room and, and, and Jesus is washing their feet and they've had this incredible meal and they're about to go on a walk through the Kidron Valley. And Peter and, and Jesus says, one of you is going to deny me tonight. And Peter says, if all of the disciples deny you, I will not deny you. And, and Jesus says to him, when your alarm clock, before your alarm clock goes off this morning, you're going to deny me three times. 
And, Jesus, and Peter couldn't believe it. And yet, as Peter curses Christ's name as he denies him the third time, he catches eyes with Jesus across the courtyard and realizes what he's done, and he feels the weight of his denial and the shame that might come from that denial. And Jesus was trying to get him to understand something. Peter, you're already clean. You, you're already clean by the words that I've spoken to you. What did Peter do at that point? He, he runs away, right? He hides. He goes. He's confused. He's not sure. God, what do we, what's happened? You know, I thought this was, you know, Jesus was going to be the Messiah. He's going to bring the kingdom, you know, and what, but now he's gone. And, and I'm confused, and I don't know what my purpose is and what does Peter do? He goes fishing, right? He goes fishing out on the water, and he, he goes back to the things he, he knew. And then, and then he's out there fishing, and Jesus meets him on the beach in John chapter 21. And, and Jesus says, hey, go, go throw your net on the other side. And he, he starts to go, I've, th- I've heard this before. And, and, and then and he throws it on the other side, and the, the net is full of fish, so, so much so they couldn't pull it in. And, and he remembers the moment that he got saved. Because it's the moment where Jesus did the exact same thing. And he goes, oh. And he begins to remember the words of Jesus. Peter, you're already clean. By the words that I've spoken to you, you're already clean. So what does Peter do? Does he hide in the boat? Does he get down and go, oh, the, the Jesus is on the shore. Oh, no, I, I got to hide away. No, he jumps into the water, run, uh, swims to shore, and, and, and is the first one to bow down before Jesus because he knows who he is in, in the presence of Jesus. He is clean. That's powerful, guys. There's another deep truth here I want you to, want you to see in, in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. Jesus is wanting a more perfect union with us. A more perfect union with us. Isn't that what it's saying there? This doesn't mean that you can ask for whatever you want and Jesus is going to give it to you. No, what he's saying is the more you abide... With, with him, the more you will be like-minded with him. The more you abide, the more you will be like him. The more you abide, the more you will want the things that Jesus wants. The greater union you, you will have with the Father. We should pursue a more perfect union with the Father. Amen? Amen. I love this language, a more perfect union. You know why? Because it gives us this idea of progress. It's not a perfect union, but a more perfect union, that we are walking in a more perfect union with Jesus each and every day. We will never have a perfect union until heaven, amen? But, but we can work on a more perfect union with him right now. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. 
as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Our position in Christ gives us the power to love. The power to love. This reminds me of a moment in my own life. It's not a pretty one, but it's a moment that uh, I believe speaks into this. Uh, I was a bit spoiled when I was growing up in, in my house. My mom loved me, uh, and she l- tried to love me as best as she could. And, and in that, she, she would uh, take, uh, she, would, she would pick up after me and, and make meals for me just like a mom would do, um, but in a way that enabled me uh, in a lot of ways. And um, for example, uh, my clothes, um, somehow I would, I would get done with the day uh, uh, in high school, and I would just take my clothes off. I would pile them on the floor. I would get up the next morning. I would take a shower. I would put on new clothes, and I would leave for school. And somehow, by the time I got back to the house, somehow these clothes were gone. And eventually, they would end up in my drawer. I was thinking, this is awesome. I would take a shower and I would, I would dry off, and I would drop the towel on the floor, and somehow the towel would be picked up, and it would be put on the hook. The only thing that my mom really made me do was make my bed every day. Everything else, eh, it was kind of an ebb and, ebb and flow. Now, now, you can see where I'm going with this because I got married. Okay. That didn't help me later on in my marriage, right? Because when my wife would look at me and she would say, early in our marriage, she would say, what is that? That's a trick question, okay? Don't answer that question. Those, that's my shirt. No, that's not what she was asking. She was saying, why is it on the floor? And, and, and through my marriage, as, as I grew in those things, I, I learned because I loved my wife, I picked up my clothes and I put it in the hamper. I, I picked up the towel and I hung it on the door. I made my bed. I would make our bed with all 10 pillows. Because why? Because I love my wife. Because I love my wife. <clears throat> I want you to see something. I I don't pick up my towel and hang it up to love my wife. I love my wife, so in turn, I pick up my towel. It's out of my love for my wife that my, my, that my actions have changed. Does that, do you get this? You getting this? So because I love God, I love God I then obey his commands. I obey his commands. It's not I obey his commands so then I will love God. I work really hard to do these things to love, to to obey so that I love God. No, I love God and out of that love for God, there's this incredible change of what what my life looks like. 
So, in these last verses that I've read, is what we, is that what I'm, it's what I'm called to do. What we're called to do is to love God in a greater way. To work hard, to work really hard to love God. And because of that love for God, in turn, it will affect our obedience to him. Does that make sense? So we need to, we need to focus on loving God. So here's, here's the challenge. So this is what, what it means for us as believers. <clears throat> we need to fill our lives with the things that stir our affection for Jesus. We need to fill our lives we need to, as a body of believers, we need to fill our lives with the things that stir our affection for Jesus. And then we need to rid ourselves of the things that rob us, rob that affection for Jesus. So what is that for you? Well, hopefully it's God's word and prayer. Those are givens, Right? What stirs your affection for the Lord? I'll tell you what it stirs my affection for the Lord. Good books, not novels, but good Christian books that, that are pushing me to, to know and to understand his truth, to know him better, to, to drive me closer to him. A good book will, will stir my affection for the Lord. F- close friends, not all my friends stir my affection for the Lord, okay? But close friends do. My closest friends are pushing me, challenging me, uh, helping me grow in the, in the things that I need to grow in. Saying, man, what, what's God doing in your life? Speaking those hard things into your life. All those things, those are important things. The, that stirs my affection for the Lord. God's creation being out in, in nature stirs my affection for the Lord. I see his creation and it just makes me want to love him. Worship stirs my affection for the Lord. Alone time by myself, some time just, just, just nothing going on stirs my affection for the Lord. Time with my family, with my kids, just that, that interaction of, of being with my kids. That's what, that's what stirs my affection for the Lord. Now, it's going to be different for you. What stirs your affection for the Lord? Fill your life with those things. You know, what, you know what robs or steals my affection for the Lord? TV. You know, when I'm sitting in front of the TV, I'm just like watching TV. It, it does nothing for me. To, it doesn't stir my affection for the Lord at all, unless it's a really good movie or, or, or a challenge there. Netflix or binging a, a TV show does not Stir my affection for the Lord, guys. Being on social media, just looking at things on my phone, and it, it doesn't, it robs everything good. Sports can, stir, can rob my affection for the Lord. So what's robbing your affection for the Lord? Because we want to grow. We want to grow in our love for the Lord, right? We want to, we want to be that church that is growing in our love for the Lord and deepening our, our walk with the Lord. So, so what is it? And, and begin to commit to that uh, today in your heart. 
And lastly is this, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Did you get that? These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. My joy, his joy, will be in you, and that your joy would be full. Do you have joy this morning? Because of your position in Christ, we have joy, his joy. Jesus promises his joy as, he, as we abide in him. The fruit of abiding in him is joy. Is your life joyful? Is it, you know, because joy is a choice, guys. Joy is a choice. It's not happiness. It's happiness is, 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 is about circumstances. Joy is about a choice to walk in this truth that we know that we are clean, that we can abide, that we, if, as we love the Lord, that he then produces fruit in us. So as we close, let me ask, this, ask you a question. As life has taken a turn, what are you doing? As Jesus has been pruning your life, cutting back some of the things that he doesn't want there, how have you been receiving that? As he is the true vine, expect pruning. It's coming and it will continue to come and it's because he loves you. It's because he loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message this morning. I believe it is timely, Lord. Lord, we just pray that as you are the true vine and the Father, the Father, God the Father is the vine dresser as he comes in and he cuts away, Lord, the things that aren't good in our lives, the things that will produce greater fruit. Lord, we receive that even this morning. We receive your pruning. We receive the cutting away, the cutting back of the things that we don't need in our life. And Lord, would you, through our abiding in you, would you grow our love for you in a greater way? Would you fill our lives, help us to fill our lives, Lord? Empower us to fill our lives with the things that, that stir our affections for you, Lord? And would you produce what you desire? Lord, we can't wait to see what fruit comes from this season. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.